Hello, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 11th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program continues to bore past November 3rd, December 3rd, and January 3rd, 2021. And with January 6th, the climb is a steep one. Shoveling's heavy. With my special guest, we can collectively clear the debris from the last four years, last 400 years, or even so many millennia. Today's show, John Hosevar of Greenpeace will talk about his organization's latest campaigns to reduce plastic production. Plastic, the debris that will last thousands of years. Let me introduce my guest now. John Hosevar, Ocean's Campaign Director of Greenpeace. John's work at Greenpeace includes initiatives in Chesapeake Bay, in the Bering Sea, the British Petroleum Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, the United Nations Protection of Sea Corals, Antarctica, reforming Japan's whaling industry, the Amazon Reef, and the world's tuna fisheries. Before joining Greenpeace in 2004, John was a consultant at Estelle Foundation, co-founder and executive director of Students for a Free Tibet, and a science officer for Coral Key Conservation. All this educated with a biology and marine biology background. John's appeared in most major media platforms. We're pleased to have him with us today. John joins me from his home in Washington, DC. Welcome to Digging Out, John Hosevar. Thank you, Claudia. It's great to be able to join you today. Well, kindly thank you. We're going to eventually talk about Greenpeace's December 14th filing a case in California against Walmart, but I wanna look at some very general aspects right now. But before I even do that, I just want to know, since we're taping this on January 8th, and so we're catching John in the middle of where there's been unbelievable drama in Washington, D.C. I just want to make sure before we get into this interview fully, John, what's your disposition as a D.C. resident? I feel like it's similar to all of us, you know, simultaneously feeling completely shocked at, at what happened this week. And also, you know, it was it was utterly predictable. This uh, has been in the works for a long time. And unfortunately, not enough people stood up to it. And the, when you enable fascists, this is, this is the kind of result that you need to expect. Well, I just want to offer my concerns for how really rattled everybody in DC must be and so I, I just want to certainly be attentive to that. So as we start our interview in earnest, let's first talk about how Greenpeace approaches tackling the waste stream. And I've, I've covered this with guests on my other show, Ask a Leader, but perhaps others aren't familiar with your attention to the front end, the production of stuff. Could you talk about how Greenpeace is strategically dealing with the front of the pipe? Sure, that sounds like a great place to start. So I think one of the important things is to understand that the problem isn't just plastic debris entering the ocean. Plastic is a problem from the very beginning, and that means fracking. Plastic is made from fossil fuel, which a lot of people don't understand. 
And so fracking in part to uh, produce plastic is of course terrible <laughs> uh, in that it is poisoning people's water supply and fueling climate change. And then once you have this feedstock to create plastic, it is refined and turned into plastic in facilities that are very dangerous for the often people of color, the communities of color where they are placed. And you see higher cancer rates, higher asthma rates, et cetera, et cetera. Then finally, we have this plastic and we're using it, which is also a lot more dangerous than I think most people realize. The chemicals commonly used in plastic include things that give us cancer and have enormous impacts on reproductive health. Chemicals can leach directly into our food and water through plastic containers. And then we discard this stuff. As you know, as I'm sure your listeners know, very, very little of it is recycled. Maybe 9% of the plastic that we've ever produced has been recycled. So most of it ends up being burned in incinerators or dumped in a landfill. Neither one of those is a particularly good outcome. Both of those lead to different kinds of pollution with toxics leaching into water, blowing into the air or contaminating our soil. And as plastic breaks down, it further releases even more greenhouse gases. So the climate problems continue. And as it breaks down into microplastics, it's more likely to be entering our food and our water. And at this point, we've put so much plastic into our environment that we are eating it, drinking it, and breathing it every single day of our lives. And we're really just beginning to scratch the surface when it comes to understanding what that is doing to us. So for Greenpeace and many other organizations, especially those that we work through in the Break Free from Plastic Alliance, we are focused on getting rid of plastic, especially single-use plastic. We can't solve this by recycling. We can't solve this just by focusing on plastic as a waste management issue. We have to stop making all this stuff that we use once just for a few seconds, a few minutes and throw away out of material that essentially lasts forever. So that's a somewhat short answer of a pretty big battle that we're in right now. So John, I've been thinking about your campaigns as the pandemic has moved into, it's raising the level of what we're blowing through in our plastic budgets, that there is more take out kinds of food. They wanna support small businesses. There's personal protective equipment that's part of the protocol for safely negotiating space with the pandemic. So I imagine all of the Greenpeace personnel, you thought you had enough to do before. Now with the starting 2000, you had a whole lot more ways to contend with. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. 2020 was not the year that any of us expected, <laughs> to put it lightly. And the plastic industry very early on in the pandemic jumped in and tried to exploit people's fears and worked really hard to convince everyday people as well as governors and federal administrations that 
single-use plastic is needed to keep us all safe and that reusables are dirty and dangerous. And so where we had hoped that 2020 was going to be a very, very exciting year in terms of groundbreaking progress in dealing with plastic, we had to start out playing defense. And fortunately, we were able to turn around that narrative uh, to a large extent. And I think much more people now understand that the best thing, the most important thing that we can do to keep ourselves and our, our community safe are focusing on uh, air transmission. So, you know, the basics, wearing a mask, maintaining social distance, avoiding groups indoors as much as possible. But uh, it took us a little while to get there. And so we did lose some time that, you know, unfortunately hurts all of us. For those of you who just joined us, my guest on Digging Out is John Hosevar. He's an Oceans Campaign Director of Greenpeace USA, a seasoned part of Greenpeace for quite a long time. So I guess there's a little tiny silver lining with the supply chain. If there wasn't that available single-use personal protection equipment, not widely enough available, that perhaps the silver lining of people making their own cloth masks was one way to pare down some of the plastic waste. Was it? I mean, does, was it significant or is it, I'm just playing that a little too cute there? No, I th think that's a, a really important point. One of the things that 2020 taught us is that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to maintain a global equitable supply of single use anything right uh, after month after month and it really did push us to find reusable solutions and i think that's you know that's an important lesson for many other uses of plastic so the the restaurants that are using different kinds of containers for takeout I think we, we can't, just because it doesn't look like styrofoam doesn't mean we're not still doing plastic linings of a paper product. Is Greenpeace addressing that with working with the restaurant supplies? Yes, you're, you're right. That's an important issue. And one of the areas where the pandemic has been a disaster for single-use plastic, all, all of this uh, takeout and, and delivery single-use plastic has really taken off, unfortunately. Um, if there's a, a silver lining there, again, it's, you know, people are uncomfortable with that. And I think there is more interest in finding reusable solutions than ever. And part of the reason is all of this single-use plastic that people are seeing now from, especially from delivery. Right, because that is Greenpeace's portfolio is working with the producers, not telling us that we ought to bring our little containers in and try to fill them up. So that's your strategic sort of place of being the most effective. So that we'll, maybe you can talk a little bit at the end about whether uh, the, the restaurant sector, if there is something being developed, but we're here making sure to cover the Walmart lawsuit with the packaging, but before, still before we get to that, because the election is on our minds, both with the November 3rd results and the amazing result in Georgia's two Senate runoff races. Are you seeing a mandate that will support 
Greenpeace's initiatives. There's going to be a new director of the EPA where rulemaking is happening with Michael Regan. Are there legislative actions that you see that are going to support Greenpeace's initiatives? It definitely feels like the overreaching from Trump and his cronies led to a pretty powerful backlash. And the elections in Georgia were truly historic. The amount of work that people put into turning Georgia blue uh, is truly impressive. And I am incredibly grateful. Um, it really will make a difference in terms of what is possible on the federal level in the coming year and over the next few years. So one of the top priorities for us is the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, which was introduced last year, but you know, with Mitch McConnell didn't really go anywhere. Now we have a very different situation. We expect that the bill will be able to get hearings and the discussion and the treatment that it deserves. And with enough support out there, we, we have a chance at, at getting this passed. And the bill is the kind of common sense, comprehensive approach that we need to be taking to plastic. It's not going to be a one size fits all. It's not one simple solution. There are several steps that we need to take. And of course, the most basic and most obvious is that we need to stop making so much of this single-use plastic. And the bill does start to dig into that. Okay. Well, that's very important. So what to the point then of the kind of four years, it feels like there's sort of a deferred attention to paring the waste stream down. So are you feeling... John, like there's a lot of competition for all kinds of deferred maintenance on the federal level, besides dealing with the pandemic. That, that must be a huge challenge for Greenpeace. It is. One of the things that we have in our favor is that literally everyone understands that we have to do something different about plastic. No one questions that, you know, we have a problem. So the big challenge is whether we do what's necessary. And that absolutely means we have to stop making so much of it in the first place. The way that we lose, if we lose, and we really can't afford to, and I don't think we will, would be if industry is able to keep the focus on end of pipe solutions like recycling and, and waste management. And so there have been a lot of bills introduced and discussed already that Federally or federal and each state, but federal is where the, it's like the largest control, of course, but you mean you're targeting the federal? Yes, so far I've been talking about federal, but you're right that there are similar things happening in many states. Industry is trying really hard to keep the focus off of plastic bans. They really want to focus the conversation on recycling. And, you know, it's insulting to to tell hundreds of millions of people in the United States that this is their fault, that they just need to be better educated about how to recycle the waste that these companies are producing. And the fact is that that wouldn't solve the problem. We are looking at the numbers now and the industry is projecting to increase, even to double the amount of plastic that they produce in the coming years. And so even if we were able to increase recycling rates, it's not going to begin to compensate the kind of growth and production that industry is pushing for. 
Well, I know from a previous interview I did with a, a Greenpeace personnel that it was like a fourfold increase of plastics were anticipated. So like if we thought that this is a lot of production now, that it's an inordinately larger amount coming, that those are strong headwinds for Greenpeace to get out that message. And I, I am really optimistic. I mean, there are, we have some pretty big challenges that we're facing with climate change, with the political situation and divisions that we have in this country and not just this country. But when it comes to plastic, we can do this. You know, we have several examples with DDT, with CFCs that were destroying the ozone layer. We realized that what we were doing is, was putting us on a terrible path. And we work together globally to change course. And that's where we are right now with plastic. We have enough information that there's no doubt that we need a course correction. And that's part of why the United Nations is probably going to announce in February next year that they're going to begin negotiating a new global plastic treaty. And 2022, next year. That's right. Yep, that's right. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the scale and scope that we need to fully solve this problem. So we're getting at this myth of recycling that we got about 9% of the plastics that have been manufactured and consumed, 9% of that's getting recycled. And it's probably dwindling at that point. Let's talk about the Greenpeace Incorporated lawsuit. It's filed in California that alleges that Walmart has been deceptive in how they're labeling the kinds of plastics they're pushing out. And that's not even getting at the the plastic around the plastic. So if you can break down all of the, the aspects of the plastic and what are the labels that we need to be knowing about and how you can help us be more literate with what those labels signal to us when we've got a package in our hands. If, if we're gonna buy that package, it happens to be plastic. Sure. So early last year, we released a report summarizing the results of a comprehensive study of all of the facilities across the country that actually do the recycling of our household waste. And we found that only the number ones and twos, so, you know, in the, within the recycling symbol, there's a number that goes from yes. one to seven, and each one is a different kind of plastic resin. So in the United States, we found that only the number ones and twos, bottles and jugs, meet the minimum FTC standards, Federal Trade Commission standards, to be considered recyclable. That means that all of this other plastic that we bring into our homes, uh, whether it's clamshells, yogurt containers, all of the soft and flexible plastics, none of that is recycled in any kind of significant numbers. So we sued Walmart because Walmart was putting labels on a lot of their packaging that implied that it was recyclable when we know with hard data that in fact it is not. For example, what kind of packaging? So for example, number five yogurt cups, these are recyclable in some places, 
but most of the country for most households, they are not going to be recycled. So if you put this stuff in a recycling bin, you know, it's basically wish cycling, right? It makes us feel better thinking that it's going to be recycled, but unfortunately it just makes things worse because then recycling facilities have to spend extra time and money sorting this stuff out before they can recycle the things that are actually recyclable. And that's a big problem with all of the single use plastic in general. It's overwhelming our recycling systems and we all need recycling to function. Paper, glass, aluminum, these are things that are readily recyclable. But if all of this single use plastic going in in the same stream is really destroying our recycling system in the United States. Um, so I mentioned the polypropylene yogurt cups as one example, but there are quite a few. I mean, Walmart really needs to do a, a whole- Audit. Yeah, exactly. They really need to do an audit of, of all of their products and packaging. But John, my understanding was though, let's say the one and two meet the clean enough the, the kind of plastic that's recyclable, but the market that we sent those recyclable goods to has dried up around the world. We're keeping this, it's all our own municipal management firms to handle this. So is this paring down that 9% to even a smaller number of plastic that's actually getting somehow repurposed and not landfilled yeah. or incinerated? Yes, that's right. And we used to export an enormous portion of our plastic waste to China. And China ultimately said, we don't want to be the dumping ground for the US and Europe. And so they banned imports. But since then, the US has been exporting our plastic trash to other countries instead, where it's not like we, I mean, really uh, the, the actual portion of plastic that is being recycled is probably far lower than most people assume because we export it rather than recycle it. And we don't very rarely um, take steps to make sure that it's being recycled in the places where we export it to. But now uh, with new uh, global agreements that kicked in at the beginning of this year, our options for exporting waste are even more limited than they were. So we really do have to take responsibility for the way that we produce and manage waste in this country. So I guess I wanna tap into where there is opportunity for Greenpeace to coalesce on this massive message that if there's a sort of a, a kind of religious, a spiritual responsibility that people can own that the consequences of their consumption or the consequences of their sort of community activation to discourage the production in, in the beginning of the production where Greenpeace is situated. Is there any kind of movement since I, my last opportunity, I had a chance to talk to a Greenpeace guest where there's an evangelizing of that if people, if they want to, if they're, wards of their nature, of, the, of God's creatures, if there is a way to make that religious message part of the Greenpeace initiative? It's a, a good question. I think it's been a while since that's been Greenpeace's strength in speaking to 
faith-based communities, but I, I think that there's a, a lot of power in that. And, you know, too often environmental groups have really ceded that territory to uh, conservatives. And of course, you know, many people of all faiths uh, care deeply about the planet and the environment and see themselves as steward and seeing protecting our land as, as protecting a creation. So I think you're right. And the other part that I think you're right on, which is very important, is that the real power is when we work together. And so, yes, of course, you know, we should do what we can as individuals to limit the amount of single-use plastic that we bring into our lives and to be as careful as we can to make sure that what we put into recycling bins is actually recyclable. But unfortunately, that won't, you know, that won't solve the problem. So what will solve the problem is making sure that the companies that we interact with and our elected officials understand that we want better options. We want choices that are going to be safer and healthier for our communities and the planet. For those of you who just joined me on Digging Out, it's my pleasure to have John Hosovar be my guest. He's the Oceans Campaign Director of Greenpeace USA. And we're trying to clear the debris, literally, for the plastic that is mounting. And I guess we're learning, John, aren't we, from the pandemic that there's this messaging about people's freedoms. That so if there's a way that Greenpeace can sort of set aside that, that the freedom isn't impeded, it's the divinity of the planet that could appeal to that crowd that just like reframe it entirely to get more people on board because it, I'm sure more than I, you have this vision of this plastic, just mountains, mountains of plastic, the ubiquitous dust of plastic all over the entire globe. It's pretty horrifying thinking just how much plastic we've put into our world and knowing that every day we're piling more on top of that. And further that the industry is hoping to increase production. So even if even if the production stays flat, our plastic problem is, is cumulative. So, you know, we're still dealing with the plastic that we produced in the 50s. It doesn't go away. It just, if anything, gets more dangerous when it breaks down into smaller pieces. So with the lawsuit filed in California, what's an important takeaway, a, a bit of a call for people to activate, to challenge Walmart's practices? Well, thank you for asking that. I think it has been incredibly helpful when people have spoken out and held companies accountable and just asked for better options, better choices. So part of the reason we are able to move companies to change their practices that they know their customers are concerned about plastic, especially single-use plastic. And so the more that your listeners are able to communicate in their, you know, any of a number of ways to Walmart and other companies, we, we want you to focus not on replacing single-use plastic with single-use something else, but shifting to reuse, to refill, and sometimes even a package-free approaches, because that is where we need to go. There are just too many of us 
to be able to continue to make things intentionally that we, we plan to just use once and throw away. There's no way. And what might be the listener's piece in appealing to our, I guess, congressional representatives to ratify the UN initiative that in, you're envisioning is going to be coming out next year in 2022? One of the great things about this problem is that it creates opportunities for us to act at all levels. So, you know, we can do things as, in, as individuals in our own lives, as we talked about. We can work in our church, our workplace, our schools to put policies in place to get rid of single-use plastics. We can work to get our towns and cities and states to take action. And at the federal level, back to your question, two main things for me. One, make sure that your member of Congress knows that you want them to support the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. That will be fantastic. The other is around the global treaty, which you mentioned. So far, the United States has been one of only a very, very small number, really only two or three countries in the whole world that is publicly saying we do not want a plastic treaty. Wow. Not change. So we are going to definitely be pushing President Biden to turn that around. We need the U.S. not just to be supportive of a treaty, but a champion for the kind of strong, meaningful, binding treaty that we need. Okay, well, I'll be sure to include that in my everyday uh, conversations. And uh, when we're getting back to cocktail parties, when we're not as socially distanced, I can thread that into all of my conversations because that's what cocktail parties are good for, <laughs> is to give people assignments. So I, as, I guess my last question is, how has the pandemic stay in place and other protocols changed Greenpeace's measures, events and all, all those iconic daredevil or those quieter corporate appearances, how has that changed what Greenpeace has been so good at doing to maintain visibility? The pandemic has definitely uh, put some constraints on all of us, Greenpeace included. You know, some of the events at the political level that we've all been watching with horror at over the past, not just year, but four years, we've had to be really creative in finding ways to effectively stand up to political figures and corporations. And I guess if there's an upside, it's given us an opportunity to be more intentional about the conversations that we have, the conferences that we speak at, the reports that we put out. And I think it has led us to be seen by more of these decision makers as thought leaders. And it's not like we didn't always put out pretty extensive, well-researched, I would say groundbreaking reports and briefings, but they often were overshadowed for some people anyway by the, you know, the banners and the direct actions. Personally, I'm very much looking forward to being able to get back into that as well, because what gives us our power, first of all, is all the people around the country and around the world that support us and work alongside us. But it isn't just the 
reports and the high level talks. It's our ability and willingness to bring nonviolent direct action to these companies and these politicians' doorsteps. So I'm going to be really interested in what kind of high profile, sort of visible, what we can look forward to with the global treaty, that's, I mean, for the international scope, or what Greenpeace is going to be doing to drop the banner around the break free from the Plastic Act. So I'm looking forward to what those are going to be, how they're taking shape. I am looking forward to that too. With the treaty, the treaty gives us an opportunity to really play to Greenpeace strengths as a global organization. Some of our most effective uses of the power that we have been have been um, tapping into our, our global capacity, our global strength, and working to identify the governments that need to be shifted, the governments that can be champions, and all over the world, shifting the climate in these countries so that we can change the policies of these governments in a way that ultimately leads to a much stronger global agreement. So that will be part of our work for sure. My hope is always that we can have a friendly, fact-based conversation with a decision maker and they agree right away that what we're asking them to do is the right thing. That doesn't always happen as you might guess. And right. so is that President Biden will quickly agree that the U.S. position opposing a global treaty to tackle plastic pollution needs to change. If not, that would be an area where we would want to assert some pressure and make sure that the president understands that a majority of his constituents want to see action. Similarly with the corporate world, there are quite a few companies that are now saying good things about the responsibility they have to be part of the solution when it comes to plastic. But so far, very, very few are backing that up with the kind of action that is needed. So we will absolutely continue to be putting more pressure on large corporate polluters, including Walmart. And part of yes. that, more walls, maybe more lawsuits, and it may be the other types of tactics that people kind of expect from Greenpeace. So I know not everybody is zoomed out of their minds. Is there an opportunity for the broadest possible public to sit in on any kinds of chats, conferences, webinars to follow Greenpeace? We've been able to get in on some amazing kinds of forums that I wouldn't necessarily have had access to. So is Greenpeace opening up some of the access to the organizational workings for our listeners to be able to participate in and sit in on? That has been one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that it's pushed us to think about how we can be more inclusive virtually. And Fire Drill Friday is probably the strongest example. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. So, you know, we've had tens of thousands of people join us in conversations, and that is truly inspiring and powerful. So I am hoping that we will be doing much more of that in the future. And if it's okay with you, uh, I'd love to be able to circle back with you and, and extend invitations that you can pass along to your listeners. Please. Thank you. 
I'm waiting for your call when you want to resume where we've left off today. So I want to thank you, John Hosovar, for your generous allotment of time today on Digging Out. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me and thanks for the great questions and for all you do. Thank you. My guest was John Hosabar. He is the Oceans Campaign Director of Greenpeace USA, an extensive repertoire at Greenpeace. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening.